0: Hello, hello, what's good, wagwan, what's happening, blessings, and welcome to episode 132 of the Lunar Poetry Podcast. My name is the Repeat Beat Poet. I'll be your conversational host doing the most, bringing you unfiltered and in-depth interviews with poets from the UK and further afield, investigating the worlds of those who make magic with words. I hope you're keeping safe and well um, no overblown explanations for the gap between episodes but hello to the new listeners who've discovered us in the break um, or maybe through the podcast's appearance on BBC 4 Extra's podcast radio hour episode that went out on October the 1st um, that was their poetry podcast special. That's available to listen back via BBC Sounds as well. Happy to be sharing the audio airwaves with some fantastic uh, other poetry podcasts, including uh, RG's Poetry Pickle Jar, uh, Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast, uh, obviously Poetry Extra and The Verb, uh, Poetry Unbound, all that good jazz. Like I say, that episode is available to listen back on BBC Sounds. So... Today we're diving back in like no time has passed um, with a fantastic and long overdue guest on the podcast, the mercurial maverick and perpetually inspiring Selena Godden. Since the mid-90s, Selena has been a trailblazing poet whose genre-defying work leaps off the page, off the stage. Um, She's a writer who refuses to be categorised and whose poems often... Do what I think so many of us poets want our poems to do, the poems take on lives of their own out there in the world. Um, Look up pieces like uh, my tits are more feminist than your tits um, or pessimism is for lightweights uh, to see just what I mean. She's written essays, memoirs, multiple poetry collections, narrated documentaries, been in feature films, released music with cutting-edge artists like Cold Cut on Ninja Tune, um, and released albums with Nymphs and Thugs, who are the UK's leading spoken word record label. She's been a persistent presence at progressive political rallies and protests for equality up and down the UK, Um, She's been a resident poet for the Byline Festival, which is a fantastic, investigative, independent uh, body of journalists. And she's a regular across the literary shows on BBC Radio. Finally as well, in 2020, she was made a Fellow of the Royal Society of Literature. Ooh! (laughs) So Selena's phenomenal debut novel, Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, also dropped in 2020. Um, And so in this episode, Selena and I reflect on her ever-expanding career um, and her 30-year journey to what is being sometimes called an overnight success. Um, We discuss the inspirations behind the novel, we have a good chat about the complications and joys of writing to and through a literal embodiment of death. Um, We talk about how, like, facing loss and grief, Uh, can teach us how to live and love and survive and fight for a better world. Uh, We cover a lot of ground in this episode, but I'm so happy to be sharing the conversation with you. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast, please save, like, rate, download it, uh, share it with someone who might enjoy it. Word of mouth has always been the best recommendation for us. And obviously, the more people talking about poetry, the better. So without any further ado, I hope you're ready for another episode of Lunar Poetry Goodness. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, hello, and welcome to you, the wonderful, the legendary, the iconic, Selena Godden. Yes! (laughs) Hello, how are you doing? You know what? It is beautifully wonderful. And sunny as we record today. So um, I'm, I'm just like, I'm like a salamander these days. I'm just going to soak up the sun's rays and like chill. So I'm really, really happy to be speaking to you as well. How are you keeping, Selena?
1: Yeah, I'm the same. I'm wearing yellow and it feels like a yellow kind of springtime is here. I'm literally a massive daffodil right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I do super like that. and um, Thank you for coming on to the Lunar Poetry Podcast. It's been, um, as soon as I was hosting the podcast, you were another one of the names that I immediately knew I had to get on the show. Um, not only for your poetic prowess, not only for your consistency, your quality, your longevity, but for your voice, for the voice that you have within like poetry across the world and mainly within the UK Um, I really do uh, value your voice your experience and your knowledge in poetry so thank you so much for for blessing the podcast with your yeah with your voice I really appreciate it Um, for those who uh, haven't seen your work or don't know you could you just introduce yourself to our audience
1: Um, I'm Selina Godden I'm a poet and an author and a troublemaker man, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I'm here to talk to Peter today, hello.
0: <laughs> Glory, yes. Um, right, so I'm not going to waste any time, I'm just going to jump straight in. Um, so the current book you released is entitled Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, and um, not to, uh, not to like, you know, bury the lead or jump the gun or give the game away too early, but I listened to the book um, as an audiobook uh, and I listened to it while walking around East London. Um, and in the book, you sort of inhabit the character of Wolf Williford, who, um, who ends up, I think, buying uh, Death's old writing desk from a secondhand shop uh, you know, in Whitechapel near Christmas. And then across the book, you, as Wilford, have these um, these conversational interactions, these communal experiences with the embodied character of death. You're speaking with death, you're listening to death. And obviously, you have had this book in production for, for a long time. You've had it in sort of construction for a long time. I remember there was uh, a BBC Radio 4 Um, series where you were almost like I think you were doing an audio diary documenting your writing of the book as you were writing it Um, so for people who haven't listened to that uh, and then people who haven't read the book yet could you just tell us about what writing your wonderful book Mrs. Death Mrs. Death was like?
1: Oh, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you because um, you sent a tweet about walking and writing and walk, uh, walking and listening and walking around East London. And that was just the dream come true for me. That's so how I hoped people would receive the book. And I just imagine people walking around the very places that I'm describing in the book and the areas and walking around East London with, you know, and, and you yourself as a, as a, you know, young poet, like, I, I imagine you would be friends with Wolf, like, <laughs> if Wolf ever had friends. So I kind of like, I like that image a lot. That's made me so happy. Um, yeah, I've been working on this book for a long time. I think, uh, I think the first, the first whispers of it came around 2011, 2012, 2011, 2012, when my grandmother died. Um and I bought this antique desk. So the desk is very real. It's a, a moment of madness when I actually went and bought this desk. This is where I'm talking to you from. And it's a solid old piece of junk, and I just love it. And it, and I, so I started imagining the tree that the desk came from. And so that came very early on, but I didn't really know why or, or you know, but I never threw it away. So here's the value of never throwing things away, right? Um, so that was – and then I was always sort of collecting – Collecting, I'm going to say collecting deaths, but I really mean collecting lives, collecting stories of courage, collecting stories of injustice as well, things that, I, that were upsetting me and, um, and collecting stories of missing people and people that have disappeared. And, and, and it's always troubled me who gets a hashtag, who doesn't. And that, that all of that has been going around my head for a long time now. Um, but there's a specific moment will be, yeah, a little later on when I was, it was Christmas time, just as it is in the book. And I'm walking through Whitechapel and I'm um, down to brick, brick Lane. And just as I'm going, I, I literally feel like I heard a voice that said, I know a lot of dead people now. I know a lot of dead people now. And it was so eerie and so powerful. It wasn't my usual inner dialogue or inner narrator in a, you know, voice, it felt like a new voice, like a new character. And so that chapter was very much written that night, walking down commercial road, past the mosque, and, you know, down that big long road, um, and down past where the elephant man was, and down past where the craze were, and down, and doing that walk and stopping in doorways and, and tapping and talking into my phone. And, and that whole um, chapter kind of came in one chunk And so that very much became like a sort of center wheel for the book. This idea that I know a lot of dead people, Selina as the writer, and Wolf as the character knows a lot of dead people. and And the reader will probably know a lot of dead people. And who knows the most dead people Mrs. death? So this kind of union there that we all know a lot of dead people now and how we talk about them and how we remember them and how important that is. Wow, that was a long ramble. Sorry. No, <laughs> I that's, I think that was okay. <laughs> it,
0: it, it's fascinating um, to hear you speak about walking and to speak about like. There's a moment in the book, and once again, I'm going to be referring to small snippets of things you've said in this book a lot across th- this episode. Um, there's a part you said about um, how when you're walking, how when you're in motion, it's almost like you're thinking in a different way, or or the world. Moves differently when you're in motion or in thought. Um, and I've been reading a lot of um psychogeography recently, like psychogeographic writing, kind of Ian Sinclair, and there's a guy called John Rogers, and these are mm. all people who are based around East London as well. And listening to your book while in motion made me look at the stories that are in the city, that are in the place. In which I inhabit, made me look at them differently. It made me sort of see myself in them um, as 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 like an act of active listening. Like sometimes when I'm reading books, um, especially novels, um, my attention span can waver. Sometimes I'm a bit, you know, this is why this is why I read poetry and listen to so much poetry because it's short. Um, but a joy of listening to Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death is that. Um, The chapters are short. It chunks up really nicely. You move pace incredibly quickly. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like fast pace. Sometimes it's smaller, uh, more like, you know, quiet moments. Um, But just the connection to place that this book has helped me foster alongside the Psychogeographic reading. um, I also wanted to commend you on. Um, And thank you for just explaining um, a bit about a bit about that. Um, earlier as well Um, maybe I'm thinking this is a good point to have a quick reading or a poem we ask every poet who comes onto the show to have three poems or pieces ready and we've been talking for a few minutes now and I always forget to do the first one so um, Selena do you have maybe a segment of the book oh I'm so excited Um, (laughs) do you have a segment of the book or maybe a poem that you'd like to share with us
1: well, let's, since we're at the beginning of the interview, let's do something from the beginning. So this is um, the first part of Mrs. Death's Diaries. Some of the work is Mrs. Death speaking, some of the uh, chapters are wolf speaking, or some of them are the dead speaking, like their last words or their last confessions. Or But let's start at the beginning with Mrs. Death's Diaries, and this is called The First Morning of the First Morning. Present day. When I called for change, Did you pass by me? Did you see me today? I sit on a bench outside London's King's Cross Station. I like train stations and airports best. I like to sit in places where people come and go. I sit and watch you come and go and say goodbye and hello. Come and go, goodbye and hello. It's as though you are not connected to each other. Goodbye, you say clinging on to that last glance, you give a funny little wave. You You don't know that you don't have to touch, to touch, to see, to feel each other. Human beings were designed to be in contact without being in contact, to communicate without words, to call each other to each other's minds. Humans still have so much to learn about connection. But when you're in transition and whilst traveling, you are tuned into this. You are alive and alert. When you travel, you wake up. You are awake and aware of changes, differences and sameness. strangers and each other. In transit, you are occupied by time and space, by clocks and miles, by separation and reunion, your chance and your fate. Humans were built to travel. Humans were made to move, to share and to migrate. Just like butterflies and birds, the history and the geography of human migration is nothing less than phenomenal. I'll stop yeah!
0: There. <laughs> Woohoo!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful! Thank you. Um... Thank you. But just going back to what you were saying, um, so much of the book wasn't written like anything I've written before. Um, it was written on the lips, composed on the lips. I looked it up, and the, the 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 actual phrase is to compose on the lips, which means you write it walking. So a lot of it was was recorded into my phone, walking and talking into my phone, and then going home and typing it up later. So there's a lot of movement in the rhythm and in the way that it's written, probably because of that. Um, and and this kind, of, I mean. <laughs> It's mostly quite strange, actually, to sort of see this lady walking up and down the, you know, around walking around East London, um, kind of going into my phone. I am death, and <laughs> I am here. <laughs> Can you imagine if someone had overheard what I was saying? But yeah, so a lot of the book was made like that, trying to be Mrs. Death. Like um, in a, in you know, Wolf, it kind of comes with all the questions, and Mrs. Death is supposed to be the the wisdom that comes with all the answers. So it's a to and fro sort of tennis match conversation going on there of answers and questions i suppose but yeah and why do you think yeah. that
0: sort of toing and froing between the two characters what did that do for you in the writing process or, or or why did you choose to 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 have this dialogue as like it's almost like the main character of the book is the relationship between mrs death and you know the reader through the yeah Wolf
1: very yeah it's their friendship that's kind of the center <laughs> of, of this book and you know they they're you know this you know, is death and noise wolf you know but I think in a way you know to, to put it plainly, death teaches us how to live. Death teaches us what we're missing out on death teaches us you know so much you know there's so much there's so many lessons learned in death in loss in, in going in, in putting it in a really simple way. You can't climb a well from the middle. Sometimes you have to go right down to the bottom of the well, down in the sludge and the mud. And from there, at the very bottom of the well, you look up and you can see the way out. You know, you can see the light. But when you're in the middle of the well, you're, you're kind of you're struggling and flapping around, you know?
0: I do, yeah. So,
1: yeah, does that make sense? Yeah.
0: It really does. Um, and speaking about being at the bottom of the well, just in terms of that, that image of standing at the bottom of a well, looking up and almost seeing like, you know, a silo in front of you. Um, for me, that's been a bit of what lockdown under Rona has felt like, you know. Yeah. I'm fully aware that I'm in my body and I'm and I'm still doing things, but I feel like I'm at the bottom of a tunnel looking up at like this previous or this future or this this something else, this other moment where I'm going to be more comfortable, more like myself, more attuned to to myself and those around me, to be more in harmony. And it's times when, it's times when, it's times when the sort of, the, seren- the sheer serendipity of you writing this book and then releasing it in this moment of Rona, where people are taking longer walks and people are more isolated. And obviously, very sadly, people are grieving like more mm-hmm. there's so much loss in the air, could you just speak about what it's been like releasing the book at this time in this moment under a global pandemic because i mean it must be Well,
1: oh, i mean yeah i mean this is just it's just crazy isn't it i'm i i mean I wrote the book from a place from a dark place. It, some a lot of the book comes from a dark place from a place of mourning and grieving I was in a role of there was a lot of uh, funerals that seemed to be like losing a lot of friends and family. And then also during um then in twenty sixteen we had like Bowie and Prince and it's just like and some deep deep great heroes of mine. Um close friends as well as, you know, celebrity people that meant a lot to me. david name Bowie and Prince meant a lot to me, I guess. Well no to a lot of to a lot of people. Um but that was also sort of part of the same it was the same thing. It was like twenty sixteen it was yeah, twenty fifteen. So, the book kind of comes from there, and in sharing that and then trying to talk about that so we sometimes write for ourselves, I suppose so I suppose I was trying to humanize death and have some questions to death and imagine death as a woman and imagine talking to her um, um and so to then release the book in a time when when we're all on a roll of of this mourning and grieving and losing people well, then i then you know it kind of yeah it, Sadly, sadly, I've come full circle, you know. Mm. We're, we're here again,
0: yeah. I will say, um, I will say as well, um, to people who are looking to read the book and listen to the book, P.S., go buy the book, it's fantastic. Um, listen to the first chapter, which is a poetic disclaimer, which I think that everybody should pay close attention to before you read the book because it's, um, the book is really engrossing, but it's also, like, it's it's realistically morbid is the phrase I've been using. Like, it's it's, really? <laughs> it's a lot, but it's also very life-affirming, you know? Um, it, it, in equal measures, it makes me want to, like, savour every single moment, but when I listened to it in, you know, I listened to it in sort of two walks, you know, it's a five-hour walk, it it was a lot. It was a lot of death. It was a lot of, it was a lot of pain, but it was also an emotional release. Um, did you find that writing this was cathartic? Did you find that writing this, what did writing this book do for you personally, like outside of all the bells and whistles?
1: Oh, well... Well, like I said just then, yeah, I suppose I was writing, you know, know, because I was writing this book in between projects, you know that, right? So I've been working on it for the last, you know, sort of since 2011, 2012. So you can imagine. So I was writing it whilst we were working on The Good Immigrant, I was whilst we were, while also released Livewire. Um, album um, whilst I was doing all the pessimism is for lightweights work and all the gigs and stuff with that and touring and everything. So this is very much the book that I was writing to heal myself or to vent some fury or to have my own conversations or write the thing that I wanted to say. And so that's, you know, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a publishing deal for this. I just wanted to say this and write. I didn't even know at some point if I was even going to let anyone read it. It took me ages to get the balls to let someone read this. So I hid it for ages, you know. Um, I would kind of just do, um, towards kind of 2017, 2018, I'd do like tiny little snippets of the book with uh, music um, with my friend Peter Coyt. And and also doing, like, slipping it into my poetry gigs and just to see how the work felt. Because to me, it feels like a very different tone in my usual stuff it feels uh like a yeah a very a very different tone and voice um and a progression of uh, you no know, it's still me but yeah it does feel feel like a, a a new voice um so yeah yeah it it it's it's been strange <laughs> it's been very strange the most beautiful thing about this this uh process or this last two months the book came out two months ago january full moon um is the messages I've been getting, private messages, as well as like, you know, but the, the private messages where people have been sending me photographs of what they've done with their last page. I don't know if you remember the last page, there's a ritual where you can put, write your own dead into the book. And, 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 you know, and some people have really gone to town on that and teletaped and glued photographs and poems and things in the back of their copies of their books. And I think that's just precious. I think that's amazing. It makes you feel very connected. Um, makes me feel like I've started something that makes us all connected in this time when we are all losing so many and and there is so much uh so much at stake and so much uncertainty
0: yeah there's an invitation to like I've never felt or I've never felt a book invite me into its experience so easily when the book is about something so hard to deal with you know um Thank you. Yeah, and, and and you mentioned that it's been two months since since the book came out. Congratulations. Um, could you talk about um, working with with Gay uh, to to release the book? And you know, not to not to throw even more light on you right now, Selena. But the book's been optioned to be turned into a film by Idris Elba's production company. How are you feeling about that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I keep forgetting that bit. Oh yeah, it has hasn't it? <laughs> um <laughs> I'm excited about that. That's gonna be cool, no? That's gonna be really cool. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see um how Wolf and, and Mrs. Death come to life on the silver screen. That's gonna be quite a thing. Oh, we've got to have a party for that. Um uh yeah, it's been it's been really exciting working with gate It's been exciting working with Green Door. They've got some really interesting ideas. I had a really good meeting with them. Um and yeah, it's all good it's all good i've got I feel like I've got some really good people really fighting my corner it's so it's so exciting and important. just like anyone, I can go miles with someone believing in me, and it was you know it was ju- hooking up with Crystal at own it um, as my agent really sort of turned my life around and my career around um, and she's just been an, an incredible for a good force to keep me going and you know I, just like everyone i mean we we kind of we've got these, these how we are on stage and we're very confident and how we are but deep down inside it's kind of like ah! you know and you do we do need you know those 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 voices to sort of drown out the other voices which is sort of telling us you know to give up and um so or that we're worthless or you know the, i'm talking about imposter syndrome here i suppose but um But yeah, big shout out to Crystal and to own it and and Canongate as well. They've made me feel very supported for a book that I know is not easy for everyone. It's not obvious for everyone and, uh, and is being released. In lockdown, I mean, I, I can't use my super skill of doing loads of gigs and chatting to people. That's what I know. If this was normal times, I'd be running around parties, people, bumping into people, chatting and gigs, lots of lots and lots of gigs and traveling around the country, lots of trains, lots of funny times in hotels. So it's very strange to do it like this, all kind of in my house. Um, I did not plan this like this. This was not how it's meant to go. It's meant to go down a, a lot, a lot more, a lot more wild than this. This is this feels very passive and and gentle, just uh, being at home in my slippers, you know.
0: Yeah. I think there's almost like I was. Um, I've been thinking a lot about a few of the other incredible releases from poets based in. London or formerly based in London i was thinking about Caleb Bazuma Nelson's open water and i was thinking about Musa Kwanga who's also featured in the in the good immigrant he released um a wonderful memoir called in the end it was all about love um, and these sorts of books that are having really deep qualitative connections with readers during lockdown there's still a chance to tour these books when 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 the world Uh, hopefully has less physical restrictions upon it. Um, And Mm. so, yeah, uh, a fun question, Um, a blue sky sort of thinking question. Um, If you could do a dream launch gig for Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, where would it be? What room do you miss? Um, What energy do you miss from the stage?
1: Oh... Um, oh, just to backtrack, I wasn't complaining then about lockdown. I want everyone to stay safe and stay home. I'm sorry if that sounded like, oh, I want to be doing parties and gigs. Um, yeah, I just really want to make that really clear. You know, it's like staying home and staying safe is, is high priority and um, shielding family members and whatnot. Um, so imagining lockdown is lifted and we have an amazing party, where would that be? You know, I, I know this is doesn't, might not sound very... Ambitious, but I would really like to do a gig at the Union Chapel, and I think I could really smash that. I think it's a beautiful space, and I think a church kind of space really lends itself to this kind of work and this kind of writing. Um, And I would have special guest musicians and I would have all my favorite live wire poets come and do support like you and all my friends. And we would uh, watch the sunrise drinking rum around my kitchen table afterwards and it would be beautiful.
0: Beautiful. Speak it into existence. I'm going to (laughs) hold that. I'm going to hold that. imagine I'm going to hold that, that wonderful scene in my imagination and, you know, to use a common word of the times, we're going to manifest it, Selena. We're going we to manifest
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and just to talk about, just to talk about gigs and performance, um, from one performer to another, um, I've been inspired by seeing you perform poetry since I started performing poetry. Um, I recently spoke to Zena Edwards on on this show, and and she's another poet, who really does um, make me sit up and look at my own performing practice. Um, So I wanted to ask you, how have you managed to keep the life energy of your poetry across all these gigs, all this time, Um, I don't need to run down the list of of, of performances that you've given that have gone uh, not only viral in the sort of public social media sense, but performances that have really sat with people and have changed lives. I'm thinking about um, uh, the performance of Pessimism is for Lightweights. You did a Byline Festival that was released on Nymphs and Thugs. I'm thinking about performances. Ah, um, uh, performances like uh, you know, there's there's far too many to mention, but. <laughs> <laughs> like I really, yeah. Um, just because I was thinking about Byline Festival twenty nineteen, where I was kindly invited by yourself and uh, and, and Matt Abbott. Um, to, I talk to... that. Matt is a golden, golden man. Absolute juice. Yeah, um, I really
1: loved. I really loved that Byline Festival. It was really good fun.
0: It was, and it 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 just put me in mind of really thinking that you bring an intent and an energy to your performances. Every time you had the silver boots, you had the cape, you were doing this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How have you kept your performances so, so energized across your performing career?
1: Hmm. How have I done that? I think one of my, I think everything else by the side, I think think my greatest success is that I still have the taste for it and the enthusiasm for this job that I had when I was 19. I'm 48 now. So I think that's a that's taken, you know, that I still have, you know, after years of different terrible things going wrong and you know and big tragedies and <laughs> and big, you know, you know all kinds of things betrayal and rejection and all the terrible things that happen to a poet, I still really have the same excitement about it and the same, you know, and the same thing I still love writing. I still love performance. I like to check out other people's writing. I love, um, you know, the the dialogue, the connection it gives me. Um, yeah, to have the same enthusiasm and the same excitement. I I really I just think it's wonderful. And I, and I really do consider like my poets to be like my brothers and sisters. And and just watch us all developing and growing. And and yeah, I really cheer from the sidelines when someone does a good job because you know. And, breaks through it's just so good it's good so yeah i guess that's what keeps me going all the friends i've made you know
0: i feel you as as an adopted poetry son after that uh after that byline <laughs> festival experience and you know watching the sun come up across across a wonderful wonderful vista at whatever it was yeah. 7 a.m on a bank holiday monday like
1: yeah i have this amazing photograph of you sitting there with the sunrise sky Oh, that's one of my favourite... Yeah, that's a gorgeous photo. I'll send it to you. I love that. Yeah. Thank
0: you. I do appreciate it. Um, I think, naturally, it might be a good time to move to a second poem or a second reading. Uh, while do you, have
1: a, do you have anything particularly you want me to read today?
0: <laughs> well, since you've asked... Um, I know that the poem is publicly available on many platforms as a video. I'm pretty sure it's on the side of um, a theatre in Bristol. I've seen you read it um, at marches. I've seen you read it, uh, you know, live on the radio. But could you read for us, Pessimism is for Lightweights, please? It soothes my soul. It soothes my soul. And um, for those of you who are listening as well, you can't see uh, the, the phenomenal wall of books that Selena just turned around <laughs> to pick up a copy of her own book, Pessimism is for Lightweights, <laughs> published uh, on Rough Trade Press as well.
1: Okay, so let's see. Here we go. Pessimism is for Lightweights. Think of those that marched this road before and those that will march here in years to come. The road in shadow and the road in sun. The road before us and the road all done. History is watching us and what will we become? This road is all flags and milestones. Immigrant blood and sweat and tears built this city, built this country, made this road last all these years. This road is made of protest and those not permitted to vote, and those that are still fighting to speak with a boot stamping on their throat. There is a power and strength in optimism, to have faith and to stay true to you, because if you can look in the mirror and have belief and promise you, will share wonder in living things, beauty, dreams, books and art. Love your neighbour and be kind and have an open heart, then you're already winning at living. You speak up, you show up and stand tall. It's silence that is complicit. It's apathy that hurts us all. Pessimism is for lightweight. There is no straight white line. It's the bumps and the curves and the obstacles that make this road yours and mine. Pessimism is for lightweight. This road was never easy and straight. And living is all about living alive and lively. And love will conquer hate. Yay! <laughs> Like, it gave me so much pleasure seeing your smiling face while I read that. Thank you. Oh, God! Like honestly, I, I, <laughs> I had to stand
0: up and walk around the room while you were reading that. It's oh, it gives me <laughs> life, Selena. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I uh, back in October, um, I was recording a um a poetry special for a different ra- for 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 another radio show that I host, um, and it was called the Black Lit Power Hour. And um, I had to have you reading Pessimism is for Lightweights in there because oh, it's such a strong message, but you also don't sugarcoat it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that you say that, Um, you know, oh, try to be optimistic. It's easier. It's better. Like, nah, you know, the road was always this tough and it always has been this struggle. Um, yeah. Yeah oh, what's it been like seeing the reaction to that piece? Because I know that piece has almost got a life of its own now.
1: Um, yeah, it really does, doesn't it, that poem? It's kind of like I'm nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's almost like it's got its own, yeah, its own dressing room. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, there, it, it, I think the, mo- the most shocking thing is how far that poem's gone um, to places where I I can't go to rooms that I don't go in, to, to conversations I don't go in. It's, very, it's been, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've seen, like, like people that would actually be quite, trying to look at it, trying to say it in the most delicate way, people that just, you know, perhaps might not support people like you and me have shared the poem, which I sort of think is quite, quite extraordinary, like quite staunch um, right-wing MPs. So what does that tell you about the power of poetry, you know? Um, yeah, it's strange,
0: Yeah, the poetry can reach, well, to me, I think it says that poetry can reach sometimes where our embodied spirits cannot. Like, poetry yeah. is another vessel through which we as people, as human beings, can pour ourselves into and give out, like, Um, (laughs) there's something about having a poem which has been you know um, which has resonated with a crowd of protesters in front of the houses of parliament for I think it was an international women's day solidarity march Um, and to have that poem indelibly in the in the experience of for me when I go to parliament square now I think of the protests that have happened there like yeah. and i think about how poetry is a central part of protest for me at least in my practice um how where do where do poetry and protest intersect for you
1: oh that's an interesting question um i don't know how i even got into this stuff really i think it was uh i think i've always even in the 90s i think i was writing quite a quite you know, I was writing my truth. I was writing what I was seeing, um, and I opened up for a lot of punk gigs. And so that sort of that sort of being quite punky, quite short, sharp lines. That that's very much influenced by that. Um, and then a lot of my early gigs as well were in clubbing culture, where you're where you're doing your poetry over the top of sort of beats, and and you're sort of dealing with with a kind of more of a club heavy thing. So again, short, sharp lines. So that kind of really influenced the way I write a lot of those sort of poems, that those political poems. You know, just really try and be as succinct as possible in your message if you can. Um, so that's that's sort of uh, for protest as well. That the protest poetry is, I think, very married to that, So those short, sharp, get the message through. That kind of um, that kind of way of writing, and ranting poetry, perhaps as well, is another influence um you know and tim wells and and all the things that he's taught me all the poets and poetry books that he gave me he was a big influence when i was younger uh, my all my influences were very male actually i've talked about this before in the in the 90s it was um jock scott and tim wells and john cooper clark and um and howard Marks and um and Tay in in Amsterdam and the, these were the these men were the people that were telling me I was a poet and that I could write poetry and that so it was a very it was a very male push was my first push into poetry, um so I really try and be a big sister the big sister I never had to two poets um but going back to protest poetry I think I think that that's that's definitely where it sort of started that kind of writing. It's definitely yeah, punk doing punk, the new wave of punk in the mid '90s. You know, when you've got Nirvana and you've got Hole and you've got all the, that kind of music, that kind of energy, kind of grunge. That 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 that's sort of where that that came from, that style of poems that I write. Mm.
0: And just to to build on that, to dig a little bit deeper, you spoke about the male influences who were who were who were giving you that push you know, th- through their work. And obviously I know that you've performed with John Cooper Clarke a lot and, 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 and that sort of experience. What does it mean to you now to be that big sister, to be that, to be that black woman holding space and bringing people through? Like me as a young black guy being into poetry, I've seen inspirations be black women for me in this game and obviously it was not always the way so what does that mean to you to be in that position?
1: Oh well um, I find myself in this position I mean it's it, I didn't you know, I'm, I, f- I still feel like I'm scrambling around. I'll, I'll never feel like I've arrived. I don't think I'll ever feel like I'm finished. Never feel like I'm done. I still feel like I'm I'm 19, like, you know, like you. Like, I still feel like I'm down there scrambling around, pitching to jobs, trying to pitch, you know, call my way through it or um, just as much. I, ne- I don't think I'll ever feel comfortable. So because of that, because I still know what it feels like to be hungry and to, and to want things and to be sidestep for things. Um, I'll always be there for people that, that have that experience. I think that's just how I am, you know, how, how I, how I share, how, how I connect, you know? Um, it's, I'm in a very funny place now where I was not establishment enough for so for decades. And now I'm going to be too established for things. So they'll be able to reject me for being too established. Whereas the last thirty years they rejected me for not being establishment enough. So I can't win. So <laughs> like this is this is where we're at with with how it is. So we just got to make our own magic and make our own party, build our own castles, you know, and 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 but you know make make our own thing. You know that that's kind of how it's always been anyway. I, I like things that have been made for the love of it, um, things that have been made with passion. Things that've been made, you know, because because someone has something to say, as opposed to having a deadline, you know. So that's yeah. where the good stuff is, anyway.
0: Yeah. I think um, I think, just having, so you said in, you know that you don't necessarily feel, feel feel comfortable in in this role, and I did I did ham up I, I did ham up the 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 kind of you know the, I did ham up that side of things for the purposes of this interview, but just personally, like. I can tell you what it means for me to have seen you and writers like you as examples that success isn't defined by what publishing deals you're getting or how visible you are it's defined by the influence you leave for other people the quality of your work and and how you can honestly say that you've given of yourself through your poetry Um, and for me that's a massive inspiration that's the thing that I'm so grateful I can look at writers like you and I can see people who have done it who stuck to their guns for years and now the trends the mainstream is looking for integrity and you can't fake integrity over time you can't do it.
1: Like, you can't, that's really true. <laughs>
0: you know, and and obviously if you're starting from punk gigs, uh, opening up for bands who, you know, might not want to see you is a bit of an understatement. They might be there just to throw beers and leave. <laughs> but hammering out those gigs years upon years, um, I'm only sort of, you know, uh, four years into poetry performing now. Um and I've done some weird gigs, I can tell you, <laughs> I've done some strange gigs, but I can only imagine that that is, um, like, that's a build-up, that's, that's not something that ever goes away, um, having that passionate experience. And so I wanted to say um, a personal thank you for setting setting an example that people like me can follow. Um,
1: oh, got quite deep you. there, that's got amazing. quite deep. <laughs> oh, that means a lot, though, that really means a lot. Yeah, but, uh, but when I said the word comfortable, I meant in, in the sense of, um, you know, never think, never getting too comfortable. I'm, I've always been a bit scared of that, you know, getting too comfortable, getting lazy, getting, uh, have, you know, uh, having apathy, like, oh, it's a done deal. Oh, I don't have to try, you know? Like when I'm doing, when I'm writing, I can see when I'm doing a Selena and I'm like, wait. You know, and I kind of have to pull myself up. There's a certain, there's little tricks that I do and little things, and it's like, oh, that is so Selena, stop it, you know, and try and think, keep it fresh, you know. That kind of, so yeah, never to get too comfortable and thinking, you know, that you you, you're there, you know, that you've always got learning to do, reading to do, growing to do. Tell you what, I'm going to be an amazing poet when I'm 88, so I've still got a bit of time to go. Like, yeah, I've always had a vision in my head that I'm mean, going to live to I'm very old, so I'm like 109, and I'll be wicked poet, you know, like <laughs> like big grey hair and loads of rings and just like uh, just some sort of magic lady. Like, I've always visualised that. It's yeah. all about the
0: long game. Like, I, I hear comedians yeah. speak about this as well. It's very hard to, well, not hard to be, but you see comedians thinking and talking in their sets about, like, you know, I'm going to be the best comedian I can be when I'm 50 60 70 80 when I've lived this life and had this experience um, mm. what advice then would you give to to, to younger poets starting out um, or poets of any age starting out um, I'm eager to get away from the from the from the discourse of who is a emerging poet um, and you mm. know the, the the limitations of the 16 to 25 age category um, yeah so I, I wanted to ask you what advice would you give to poets who are just beginning, um, but are looking to take poetry as a profession?
1: Like for a forever thing. Like uh, yeah, not a hobby, like a forever real job thing. Yeah, that's the difference, isn't it? I think um we used to uh we used to poo poo the poets that were poets for like two years and then they'd go off and be comedians. So then they'd only do it just so as <laughs> this is a warm up thing for another different job, you know. Um Oh, let me see. I think my main advice really is to is to try not to compare yourself to other people. I find that really unhealthy. Um, when I was an emerging poet, it was like there was no such thing as an emerging poet. So that I felt very much in the mid nineties that I was, um, like, you know, that there was. I was just sort of doing my thing, and I very much set my own rules and my own path. And I think that's made me quite confident in that sense, and I kind of feel like i, I like if like I sort of went to the forest and I could see all these paths that have been trodden, and I kind of wanted to make my own path and chop through and I got all covered in stinging nettles and but I feel better for those stinging nettles and for taking this weird wonky path when I could have gone a much easier path um I'm not saying do that, but that was my choice to sort of do this much more round the back through the brambles way of, of getting where i wanted to get which was you know getting published and and yeah so i don't know why i did that but i'm kind of glad i did i'm not saying that's good advice but maybe it is good advice to just not compare yourself to others and to have have be true to yourself and to make that work from the magic place from the place of having something to say sure you're going to do your money gigs you're going to do your deadlines and yeah but but you know make sure you, you you're um you jealously guard your time when you're working on the things you really care about. You know, I, I mean, my touchstone is to work on my things in the mornings, and then do the other stuff, the, the money stuff later on in the day. So I still do get up at kind of four in the morning, but last night I was up at three thirty, 30 um, and was working, um, watching the sunrise. And that's kind of like, so I feel happy today because I know I've done like about five or six hours on my own thing. Um, and so I'm totally happy to do things that aren't necessarily my favourite things, or, or you know, or paying the bill things. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, um,
0: what you said about ferociously guarding your time. That's something that um, that I remember hearing in a workshop, or oh, maybe like three years ago. I forget who said it, but it's it it, it it's it's lodged in my head um as like a like a fundamental like it's almost like a fulcrum of the writers who i've seen who i would deem to be successful and that's just using my own criteria but that's like integrity longevity clarity honesty you know those sorts of writers they all have stressed the importance of defining your time and having your own time for yourself Um, and so you know if anybody's listening who is looking to start writing Um, you know, as a profession. And also, you don't have to write as a profession. Do you know what I mean? It's not for everybody. But writing as an act is completely for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would say that um, even if you're not looking to write uh, professionally, to set aside some time for yourself um, in the morning Mm -hmm. or in the evening or wherever you can grab a few minutes uh, just to write out your thoughts, to write out how you're feeling, can really have the impact of, as you said, if you do it in the morning, you've already had a great day because you've already done something. You've already achieved something, yeah. ticked something off the box yeah. for yourself.
1: Um, yeah, that's it. And I think your brain is, and the closer you are to your dreams. So I, use a, I use a lot of my dreams in my work. So I think that's really important as well. Um, so, yeah, as soon as you've woken up, as soon as you wake up, don't reach for your phone. Reach for a pen, you know, reach for a book. Don't fill your head with all the things you can't control. You can control your writing and and getting that done. And I think that's really important. Keep a dream journal is really important. You can use your dreams. I use my dreams a lot um, in my work. In Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, Tilly Tuppence was a very vivid dream um, and uh, a very horrible recurring dream. So she became a character in the book. and the red tower too was uh was was also a very vivid dream i googled tilly Tuppence. It was so real to me i googled looked for her but there's no such person um and also, and also the red tower there is there is no sort of red tower in spain but i can see it still really clearly in my head in this terrible terrible scene of um um you know people being murdered and pushed down a well so um using your dreams it, it sort of feels like you're a thief in the night you know, so I have, like, a really vivid dream and then leap out of bed, like I did um last night at sort of 3.30 in the morning. <sighs> Get that down. I can use that. Yeah. Um So, yeah, using your dreams is the is, is top tip for me.
0: Just gems dropping out here. Just dropping sheer gems. I hope everybody is collecting these wonderful, <laughs> valuable nuggets of advice and information. I know that on a listen back, I will certainly be collecting these. Um <laughs> I think uh, just now might be an opportunity to move into a third and final reading. I am so excited that I get to have what is essentially a private gig for the recording and then a public gig archived for all of time in the British Library. My own private gig with Selena Godden. And obviously, the wonderful listeners out there in the Lunar Poetry Podcast world. Um, thank you for listening, whoever you are, wherever you are. Selena, could you hit us with another reading, please?
1: Yeah, I thought I would read this. I've never read this before. This was the page that opened while you we were talking. So this is Mrs. Death Watches TV. This is a little later on in the book, when Wolf and Mrs. Death are a bit closer. Mrs. Death Watches TV. Wolf at home in the small attic, above the forest tavern pub, present day. Mrs Death sits with me. We drink red wine and flick through TV channels. The cacophony of phony canned laughter, colour and noise, and singing and dancing and shouting competitions, celebrity shine, reality showtime, of a Saturday night family entertainment. She pauses on a 60s crooner. He's singing the song everyone knows. And afterwards, everyone claps. The young TV host coos and prees and calls him a national treasure. The raucous live studio audience all cheer and applaud and online hashtag national treasure is trending. The old crooner is orange and oily. He says thank you and blows a kiss and waves to the camera. He takes a bow, fake tan, fake charm, beaming his fake white teeth with a confident grin. For tonight, his sexism, his racism and elitism is all brushed over. His penchant for child pornography and his connections with members of Parliament, lords and oligarchs and filthy tycoons are not mentioned. It's neatly swept aside and disguised by his Christian god talk, his public charity work, his knighthood and his multi-millions in the bank. Nothing can touch him. Or so he thinks, Mrs Death chuckles and raises her glass to the screen, I'll see you soon enough. Mrs Death downs her wine in one, takes a long draw on her cigar. She says, his name's on my list, and when he meets me, it ain't gonna be pretty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't
1: fingers.
0: yes. Chug's fired! Shot fired! <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you for bringing that message and so did you say that you just randomly opened that page
1: yeah i did which actually reminds me earlier in the interview you asked me about a dream gig or dream get together please can we do something at the forest tavern in um forest gate in the pub that's in the book oh it's Let a real place, place. Yeah. yeah 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 let's just got a massive pub garden let's all meet there and have like an amazing time it'd be really it's a really lovely pub really strange coincidence. When I first moved to this area in East London, this was the pub that I got really drawn to and I really liked. And I just, I just felt really comfortable in and I just wanted to go there all the time. Um, when, if we were going to the pub, I even would go and sit in there on my own, um, which is quite rare for a girl, if you know what I mean, sit in a corner, have a pint of Guinness on your own and feel safe. Um, and then I found out that my dad used to drink there in the 70s, Like right? That was his, where he hung out. And i had no idea Talk that's, about some that's some spiritual that's yeah. some resonance
0: like in the in in the floorboards and in the yeah, and in the yeah. pints you know
1: yeah and he lived in a flat just two just a street behind that pub i did i had no idea but i um yeah it's just a strange dad connection as you know I, I didn't know my father and and he died in 1981 um committed suicide so there's lots of questions and and they let when when someone commits suicide they they leave a lot of questions don't they um and yeah but these little things that little nugget of information and so of course wolf had to live in that pub and so yeah so i had to sort of base my wolf to live up in the attic of that pub um but yeah, so that's top of my list actually and that's easy to do. Just basically I'll text you all and we all go there and we drink pints, okay?
0: <laughs> yep, okay, done. Solid. <laughs> we can yeah, I mean I'll see you in the WhatsApp, it's cool. <laughs> we can we can we can bring in the poets from, from near and far and be like, we are having this forest tavern get together, shindig. Oh
1: <laughs>
0: Um, thank you for, for, for sharing that um for sharing that piece of um, for sharing that piece of not only your story your created story your novel but your, your 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 history like your 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 physical story um it's I know it's not easy to be open consistently um and so i, I just one last question before we sort of pivot towards the, the end of the um the end of, of the interview um how do you how do you, and how have you protected yourself? Because I know that throwing it all out on stage, or, or, or do you protect yourself? Like, um, you know, there's a big conversation in spoken word communities, poetry communities, happening about how much do people rely on using their trauma as kind of, you know, fuel for their art. And these are all just the conversations that are publicly happening. So I just wanted to maybe let you respond to that.
1: How interesting. That's wonderful. I, I'm glad you asked me this because now I'm asking myself this question. You know, I don't think I've ever asked myself this. Okay, so the first thing that comes to mind is when, we're, when you're asking me to give you advice, um, I think the main thing is, is to learn that you don't have to be unhappy to write. For some reason, this was a big thing. I think I used to in my 20s and 30s a lot of my writing I was I, that was coming from a place of pain or hurt or rejection or sadness or broken heart some some boy done me wrong or something like this um, um, and then you know, sort of you know broken hearted stuff and it took me a long time to realize that you could be kind of happy and and in love and in a healthy place and still write so that was kind of a thing so I think that that doesn't really quite answer your question but it it is a thing to sort of feel like good writing doesn't have to come from suffering good writing doesn't have to come from a place of great pain and trauma it can you know come from a place of um of healing and um you know I was talking earlier about writing early in the morning and I think when you when you write first thing in the morning with the sun rising you're so hopeful when you're watching the sun rising and I think that's probably why so much of my work is hopeful because I, I'm literally watching the, the dark disappear and the light come. I hate the dark. I'm, I'm kind of scared of the dark. So I love it when as soon as the light comes, it's like, and I sort of take a big breath and I'm like really happy again, um, like some sort of flower or something. <laughs> sunflower. But um, But yeah, I think, I think how to protect yourself is, is to fictionalise. I've done quite a lot of writing where, where I've wanted or needed to write about something traumatic, and then fictionalised it, removed myself from it, taken the I away and turned the I into a he or a she, or, you know, Mabel did this instead of Selena did it, you know? Um, so that's one way of protecting myself. But I've always felt very much that I live this uh, duality of very being very introvert and awkward, and strange <laughs> and also being very extrovert, bold and confident um, and lockdown, my monster, my extrovert, my confident is, is in a box. So it feels very strange for me to be talking to you from my space that is my introvert space. This, this very room that we're talking is my desk and these are my books. And this is I would not normally let the public or let anyone see me in here. But lockdown has made us push these boundaries. And at the the beginning of lockdown, I was very um, resistant to doing interviews and things like this because of that, because there is a difference. To me, a very big difference between the two wives, you know, the brunette that does all the writing and the bolshie blonde that's on stage. You know, I've always had a very strict line between them. But lockdown has melted that line. So I don't feel very protected at all at the moment. Um, You know, I'm performing in in, in my introvert space. I'm doing gigs from my from my hidey hole, from the place where the ideas are born, which feels like which feels really strange to me. Um, and I can literally hear the monster in the box kind of knocking, let me out. This <laughs> is the the longest time that I've been in introvert mode. I've been in writer mode. Um, you know, been at home, you know, making making food and writing and reading books, which is is kind of my you know writer's retreat mode. Um, for a whole year, which is very strange, isn't it, for us all, yeah.
0: Mm. yeah. Thank you for, once again, just, yeah, dropping drop the gems. I feel um, I, I, I entirely identify with you on the whole, having an introverted side and an extroverted side, and then having to somehow marry the two in this odd time where the extrovert can't be as public, um, and the introvert is expected to somehow be all of me, you know, I think that's a very um, it's a very important thing to keep in our minds as we approach, like, you know, um, the gradual easing of physical restrictions here in the UK, um, and and what we've been deprived of, and how we would like to move forward. Um, so thank you. I'm uh, I'm super aware of time, and it always pains me to do this because I have to kind of like hard pivot to the end of the interview somehow. But I want to I want to I want to let you down easy. Okay. Um, and we have um, we have one final question that I always end the Lunar Poetry Podcast with. Um, and it's a broad question. It's a question that uh, has years and years and years, decades, eons even, of people asking it and people responding to it. And that question is, why poetry? Why poetry?
1: Why poetry? Oh, because poetry is a because poetry is difficult, because poetry is a dog, because poetry is an orphan, because poetry... That sounds like... That's that poem. I can't... I can't find it now. But, yeah, why poetry? Uh, Why not poetry, I suppose? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, honestly, honestly, I don't feel like I had a choice in this. Um, My grandmother, my Jamaican grandmother, used to listen to me on the BBC, and she'd say, you should have been a lawyer. The way you're switching them words around, you should have been a lawyer. She's probably right, right? No. <laughs> I'm joking. But, um, yeah, why poetry when you could have been a lawyer? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my parents, I mean, my parents. Uh... <laughs> anyway, lawyer, doctor, engineer. No, poet. I became poet. <laughs> They're very proud of me, though. Loves my parents. I know they listen as well.
1: Oh, hello to your parents. Your son's amazing. I love him. right
0: (laughs) we have to end this interview now otherwise i'm gonna i'm gonna cry i'm gonna be in bits um
1: thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute joy honestly such a joy to see you and please let's meet in the pub when we're allowed um let's go to the forest tavern with everyone
0: i'll see you in the pub selena thank you so much for coming on the lunar poetry podcast um to everybody listening Um, Please go and check the show notes for links to Selena's work. I will drop in um, links to a couple of the other great archives mentioned in the show, including Tim Wells's blog, where he uh, archives a lot of poetry as well. Um, Go and get Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death. Go and get Pessimism is for Lightweights. Go and listen to Selena Godden's work, Um, her singles, her music, everything like that. Um, but i will see you listeners in the outro and selena thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been a pleasure
1: thank you thank you love you
0: yes yes and there it was another episode in the bag Selena's debut novel, *Mrs. Death*, *Mrs. Death* is out now on Canning Books. It's available through your local independent bookshop or library. Uh, the paperback is releasing in January 2022, and I really cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, especially the audiobook version, if you'd like to hear Selena's fantastic reading voice, like really bring in the novel and the characters to life. Thanks to Selena for her time for her energy, for her honesty and her wisdom. She is a uh, truly, truly one of a kind. And lastly, thanks to you for sticking around. Give yourself a pat on the back for listening all the way through. I'm glad you could make the time for us. For more from Selena, go to selenagodden.co.uk or at selenagodden, that's S-A-L-E-N-A-G-O-D-D-E-N on social media. Uh, the links will be in the show notes quick run through of some admin bits and notes of gratitude before we round off Uh, transcripts will be dropping in winter of this year 2021 and uploaded into the british library's sounds department archive so keep eyes on the website for that that's lunarpoetrypodcast.com uh, you can get in contact with me at Poet on social media or email me with LPP in the title. Um, you can see all of my other projects as well through my Linktree, which is just linktree.com forward slash repeatbeatpoet. Thanks again to Ella Jean of Mystery Planet Productions on the sound. And you can keep up with all the Lunar news by following at Lunar Poetry Podcasts on Facebook or at Lunar Poetry Pod on Twitter. Uh, Subscribe to us wherever you go for quality podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, SoundCloud, everywhere. We are everywhere. Until next time, I've been your host, doing the most, the repeat beat poet. Keep reading. Keep supporting poetry and uh, remember the words of one Joy Harjo who said, Without poetry, we lose our way. Peace out.